Hi to all our listeners. This is Coach Chelsea, the host of the Servant Leader Coaches Bible Study, a place where athletes, coaches, and athletic professionals come together to talk about faith, sports, and servant leadership. We hope that this podcast blesses you. If there's anything we could do for you, please find us at the Chelsea F on Twitter, at Chief Friend John, C H E F R A N J O H N on Instagram and streaming live at Chelsea F. Muir on Facebook. We pray that you continue to be blessed and continue to serve as God would ask us to. As a result of this, as, as we've, we've started to be more open about talking about um, Jesus and, you know, how, you know, he plays into all of this and, and how, you know, the idea of uh, being a servant leader is, you know, as simple as, hey, let's think back to Jesus washing the disciples' feet and what that means. And so I think, you know, a lot of of what I do and what I focus on as a coach is the idea of there's times for me to lead and there's times for me to serve. And sometimes the line is really blurry between leading and serving, or it's the same. And so, um, you know, I love what I do. I love giving back. I like being active in the community. Um, with three kids, um, you know, at a time where not only we have a pandemic, but we're talking about Black Lives Matter, um, the injustices in the world, we're in a voting year, um, the uniqueness of of having an owner, <laughs> you know, in the situation I've been in and trying to walk that fine line between um, understanding who pays my paycheck, as well as support my players and, and, and stand up for, you know, what I know is right in my heart. Um, you know, there's just a lot going on. So, you know, I, I, I'm pretty much an open book. Most people know that. Um, I've been called the best interview of WNBA coaches simply because um, ask me one question, I'll give you a 10 minute answer. Um, I'm also like, just quite frankly, not afraid to, um, you know, give a true honest answer. I'm not trying to cover anything up. I think our sport, I mean, if you watch us enough, you'll see why we play the way we do. You'll scout us. Um, I don't think I'm giving anything away by answering questions truthfully about how our team played or where we have to get better or things like that. So um, any questions anybody has, I'm usually pretty good at pretty good at answering. Yeah, no, coach. And I appreciate that. And I think that has been the hugest portion that leadership has been missing, which is transparency. Right. Um, and, And I think sometimes that the times that we live in, I was talking to a coach that come on before uh, coach uh, Brian um Burton and we were talking about how in leadership roles sometimes we just do is no one told us that we're muted no one said that but it's just in some places we feel that there's this indirect like um covering over our mouths that if I if I say the wrong thing my job may be in jeopardy or mm-hmm. and base may not you know appreciate me or follow me any longer and so that's why I have such an appreciation for those servant leaders who are willing to just speak their truth you know I was talking to Coach Joseph Eatman um, with Shelton State Community College. And he said the best thing, he said, Chelsea, do I really want a platform where I can't speak my truth? And mm-hmm. I thought that was huge. And when I keep hearing that, that is what I see in you. So I, you know, much respect to you for that. You know, and talking about servant leadership and exactly what you said, there's sometimes there's a thin line between when we lead and when we serve. Um, talk to us a little bit about the journey leading up to this position with the Atlanta Dream. Where have we been? What brought you to the Atlanta Dream? Yeah, I mean, uh, in a roundabout way, you know, I um, 
I played college basketball. I never thought I was going to coach. I got my degree in engineering. Um, thought I, I'm not sure I ever thought I was going to be a mechanical engineer, but it was it was what my degree was in. Um, you know, for the longest time, all I wanted to be was a basketball player. Um, and I always joked that that if I could still be playing, I would. Um, you know, you could say maybe if I was a couple inches taller or this or that, but but ultimately, you know, I got into uh, coaching. Um, after I played professionally overseas a year and decided, you know, that, that I didn't want to kind of keep doing that, that it was time to, you know, kind of move on in life. And I, I interviewed for a lot of engineering jobs um, and actually took an engineering job with Motorola. And ironically, it was in cellular infrastructure. So putting um, cell phone towers and subways and, and random places around the world so that people didn't lose, didn't lose service at any point, you know? And so, um, but I got a, a coaching offer after I took that job. And ultimately, you know, my heart pulled me back in the direction of basketball. You know, I always thought, okay, well, my engineering degree will always be there, but let me see about this, this basketball pull, because it just was so, it was so much a part of my heart. You know, it was something I fell in love with. You know, I can pinpoint that aha moment when I fell in love with it in the fifth grade and, you know, define kind of every move I made up until that point. And so, you know, I, I got into coaching, um, took a job at Colorado State, uh, ultimately for who is my husband now, and uh, we followed his career. Uh, we followed his career around the country. He was an established head coach at that point, um, so we bounced from there, um, you know, and then I was an assistant at Ball State. He got the head coaching job at Louisville, so we were there. Um, then he moved to the head coaching job at Arkansas, so I was an assistant there, and when he got out of coaching, then I had a chance to kind of pursue uh, my own career. And so I took a job at Florida Gulf Coast. And, um, you know, after a couple years there, uh, Kurt Miller, the head coach at the Connecticut Sun, uh, we'd worked together at Colorado State. We, he was in our wedding. We'd become really close friends. And he got the Connecticut Sun job. And we just, quite frankly, always talked about how much we wanted to work together. And it had nothing to do with where. Um, it was just the opportunity to work with someone that I really respected, that I saw the game very similarly to. And uh, so it was kind of one of those why not now moments. And, you know, two years later, um, I got this opportunity here. So, you know, kind of a lifer in the college game, um, didn't have this ultimate dream of, of coaching in the WNBA. Uh, but once I was in this league, really appreciated um, kind of the... <laughs> There's never work-life balance, but with three kids, you know, the idea of having an off-season, which college coaches really don't have anymore with the recruiting calendar the way it is, um, as well as kind of coach the best players, um, not just in the United States, quite frankly, but in the world, um, and, and, and really the way my mind thinks and the X's and O's side, college is so much about recruiting if you have better players than other people, um, you're going to win more games. It's it's not that different in the pros in some ways when you look at, you know, Seattle and, and the number of number one picks they have. Certainly great players make a difference. But but the difference between one and 12 is a fine line versus, you know, when you're in college and there's huge discrepancies between, you know, talent from roster to roster around the country. So, you know, kind of that opportunity to coach the best players in the world and, and uh, certainly – you know, I, I've always been someone, um, especially, you know, I lost my sister six and a half years ago to a really short battle with cancer. Um, at the time, her kids were 17, 14, and 12. So 
similar ages to mine now. And I, I it, it was kind of one of those moments in time where I said, you know, I'm just not going to do things I'm not passionate about. And so, you know, I, I do this job because I'm passionate about it. And at the point that I'm not, I'll find something else I'm passionate about. I think that's huge, Coach. Um, and, you know, I tell people this, we share that same um, loss. I had an older sister who passed away years back too. So, you know, sometimes when people say, well, I would say sorry for your loss, but it seems kind of outdated. It never is. So I'm yeah. sorry for your loss. And, you know, I, I, I totally understand that loss. So I just wanted to put that in there for you. Um, understanding that the bubble was new, right? Because, <laughs> oh my goodness, I, I remember when the conversation came about, there's going to be a season and this is the format and this is what we're doing. Can you just kind of talk to us about that bubble life? I'm sure a lot of people was kind of asked that, but how did you keep the team in the right mindset? You know, they're not mm-hmm. only, you know, the whole world was on lockdown, but they were like on a second level lockdown um, in one place, having to buy by rules and things like that. Can you talk to us just about the bubble life, how you kept them energized during that whole time? And also to the injuries of Kennedy Carter, which I know is a fan <laughs> for so many people. How did you keep everybody afloat and energetic in such a time like that? Yeah, I don't know that I always did a great job of of keeping them energetic. I think the the bubble itself, you know, it wasn't, I, I don't even know if it was the monotony of the day-to-day, um, because you joke for people that are, um, you know, into Groundhog's Day, or we use that term a lot, you know, every day was the same. It was either a game day or it was a prep day. Um, and there were very few true off days all season. And so, you know, I, I think that you know, we just didn't practice. I mean, once we got through a really short training camp and, you know, we were short three players because of COVID, um, you know, so not really having our roster to put together. Um, we started with two opt-outs before we got there. So you start with 10 players that are new on a 12 player roster. You have three players that have COVID and aren't there. You're trying to teach a lot of new things and you've got nine bodies um, and an assistant coach who, you know, iced down really, really well after practice because he was kind of forced to, to go because we needed to be able to do some five on five. So, um, you know, I think it was just growth opportunity. I think the players, um, our big thing going into the bubble was first, don't don't come if you don't want to be there. If you're not going to see it as an opportunity, don't come um, and, and absolutely appreciate and understand those who don't want to come. But if, if you're going to come like this is it's, it's not, you know, we're not going to be going to the club after the games, you know, and, and we're not going to be in LA and we're not going to be in Seattle and kind of the places that, that, you know, we all enjoy going to and having our favorite breakfast spots and coffee shops. And, you know, so, um, and for me, shopping spots. So, you know, there, the, the toughest part about it was, you know, especially for us, you know, struggling, um, to win some games early and, and having all these new players, I, I think, we were competitive enough and we were close enough that we just kind of kept grinding, you know, and even when we got Courtney Williams back, I think I made a statement to my staff um, in late August that I finally saw her bounce back, you know, like, and, you know, look, she looked like Courtney from the finals um, a season ago. Um, but, but not just COVID, but just the pandemic in general and, and being away from the game and not playing and having that regular schedule, you know, it just took her a while to truly get her game back. And so, you know, a little bit of it was, you know, what kept them energized was the idea of of showing what they were capable of. Um, And if we're going to be here, why not be here and be good? You know, I mean, it's, 
you know, whether they were there because they wanted to collect their paycheck, you know, they're professionals. That's part of, you know, the biggest part of their job. If they do their job, they're going to get a paycheck. So, you know, I, I think it's respect for the game. I think it was uh, respect for the WNBA coming up with a way for them to play and even not just a way for them to play, but gave them 100% of their salaries to play, you know, two thirds the number of games that they were supposed to um, in a really shortened period. But, you know, our days were, were very much the same. We knew what time shoot around was, if it was a game day, what time COVID testing, I mean, 72 straight days of a COVID test, you know, you just kind of, you just kind of walk the walk every day, um, you know, and, and we treated our games like practices, you know, we, we talked about, and we watched a lot of film uh, because you don't get to practice. So, you know, a lot of it was film in between games and, and really trying to then work and, and, do some things better, a little, a little better every day, a little better every game, you know, to where we, we started to look like we knew what we were doing down the stretch. I think that's awesome. And also being a coach of young ladies, I think that was so huge. And some of them hear you. I think that was so huge for you talking about, you know, it's just the respect of the game right? That we know why we're here. We know the business we have to get, you know, taken care of. And the biggest portion is we actually have a season where many people, and so many people, especially in you all's case, got cut, you know, (laughs) and things as we lead up to, you know, high school seasons and college seasons, rosters may be a bit different than what was because of the new normal. And so we have to respect the game and also appreciate our opportunities. So I thank you so much for touching on that. Um, we have, you know, uh, some coaches on here and I know one of them has a question or two or maybe a few for you. Go ahead, Coach Tiffany, on you. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Hi, I'm, I'm Tiffany Lockett. I Right now I coach junior NBA. So I, I do youth um, still with the Wizards, uh, but I recently moved to, Uh, Texas. So um, currently looking for work, (laughs) but um, there's just been a lot of um, things that questions and, you know, with stuff happening. But as you started talking, I had, I just started writing because these questions started coming. So I just, if, if you'll indulge me, indulge me. Yeah, sure. Because I have quite a bit of them. (laughs) Um, But I think the first one I'll start with would, would be what, um, would you say to a high schooler would be your top three things that they should think about or do as they're um, attempting to get recruited? Yeah, I think it starts with, um, you know, today, in all honesty, I think it starts with their social media. Um, you know, you have an opportunity every day uh, to tell your story. Um, you know, I am incredibly thankful it didn't exist. I have teenagers now. Um, you know, I have to get approval to post a picture of my 15 year old. Um, you know, apparently that's girl code these days. Uh, you don't post pictures with your friends, uh, you know, until everyone's approved it. So, you know, but I think you have a a chance to tell, uh, your story and show your character and, you know, that stuff is not easily deleted, Uh, when you make those mistakes. So, you know, I find myself even I'm 45, I still find myself sometimes having those moments where I have to read a tweet and then delete, (laughs) you know, (laughs) because there's sometimes that you really want to say something and then you think, okay, where is this going to go? What is it going to do? But I would start with that, you know, on on that side. Um, The other thing I think is it's all about, you know, do you have great work ethic? 
Um, you know, I think it's, it's very easy to today to see um, and see the need for instant gratification, you know, even in the 25 years since, you know, I was being recruited, it's probably getting closer to 30 now that I say that. Um, but, you know, there weren't many players when I was 16 years old that thought they were going to go to college and start as freshmen. Um, you know, you really thought it was, there was a pecking order and you earned your minutes and you waited your turn. You know, it didn't mean that we didn't all want to play, <laughs> you know, and play right away, but there was almost this expectation that you had to earn it. And I think so much of what happens today is this idea of players, um, you know, expecting that wherever they land, um, that it's going to come easily. And I don't think that's the only reason we see a lot of transfers, but I do think it's a big part of the transfer problem. It's the whole, it's never quite good enough. The grass is always greener somewhere else. Um, you know, I, I firmly believe in being happy where you're at um, and then good things will happen for you. Um, so, you know, I, I think the work ethic part of it and, and having realistic expectations. Um, the third thing I think is that you need someone to be honest with you. You need someone to tell you how good you really are um, and stop listening to what you want to hear. Um, because I think that leads you down the path of what's the best fit for me. Um, and, uh, you know, certainly when you talk about recruiting and all that, I'm, I'm going to start with the general basic that they're pretty good, you know, because if they're not, then, then we aren't talking about, you know, what does college look like anyway? And so, but, the, but the question is how good, you know, and having a, having someone be like real and realistic with them about what level, and there's absolutely nothing wrong. There's scholarships at the NAIA level, you know, and, and to me, it's, it's always experience-based um, when it comes to um, collegiate sports or sports in general. So, you know, you can't tell me that if you were a, an NAIA All-American or an NAIA um, championship on a championship team, that that means any less to you five years down the road in life or 20 years down the road in life than it is to be a Division I um, champion or All-American. And so I think it's having that, realistic view of how good you are and where you fit in because at the end of the day players like to be some places where they one play right I mean if you love the game no matter what game it is you want to play and then you want to be around people that you like being around and and it so to me it always comes down to when I look back you know we won big 10 championships when I was at Purdue um, we made NCAA tournaments all, all, every year I was in college but it's the relationships I made. It's the people I met. It's the coaches. I still have relationships. It's the teammates. I still have relationships with the, with today. So I think it really comes down to making sure it's not about being able to say, I, I went to the best place I could, but that you went to the right place um, that gives you the opportunity to do the things that you love to do. Thanks so much. Um... Also, what, what would you say is the biggest change that you found going from college to the professional ranks in, in terms of like the talent, but also the job wise? Well, I, yeah, I think the biggest difference, you know, when it comes to my like day to day job is you you don't have the same. I would say, you know, in college, you you can be a little bit more of a dictator. Um, when you're always coaching 18 to 22 year olds who 
have had such varying degrees of coaching at the high school level and club level for that matter. You know, we're suddenly now I'm coaching 22 to 32 year olds on my squad. Some teams, you know, Subert turned 40 um, last week. So, you know, but I think you're you're coaching adult women and you're coaching players who have opinions about the right way to do things and um, have expectations. And so, you know, you have to find a way um, to gain their respect but also be very collaborative. Um, you know, I think most of the players I coach would, would call me a player's coach in terms of being willing to listen, being willing to admit that I could have been better. I mean, I think you have to do that at any level, but an 18 year old doesn't expect you to admit when you made a scouting report error, you know, but you know, a 28 year old might, might, you know, so it's kind of, I, I would say that's the difference, you know, I mean, we don't have the same amount of practice time. And then the other thing that that's more difficult is because they go play overseas, we just don't have our hands on them, you know, all year long, like you do in college, where you have that summer time, you have that preseason time, you have 40 practices, you know, before your first game, like everything we do is, is, is like on speed, you know, it's, everything's got to be faster. Um, you know, concepts have to be taught faster. You have to be on your P's and Q's about, you know, being prepared to, to get as much information as you can um, that they can absorb in short periods of time. Okay, um, my last two questions are kind of heavy ones. Um, you, you opened up with talking about how um, you, you, when you give interviews, you're very honest and open about how you feel and, and what you, you think so um, do you think that black coaches have the same ability or um, uh, feel as though they have the same opportunity to be as honest as white coaches? You know, it's, it's interesting. Like, you know, I had to understand and learn what white privilege meant. You know, I mean, I didn't learn it in the last two months, but I've certainly um, learned it over the years. Um, and had the luxury of coaching and standing alongside um, some of the most intelligent um, black female athletes like on our planet. Um, and, and, and it's one of those situations where I, I would say that I've learned how to serve as much as lead um, and, and allow them to lead me and to get me to understand, um, you know, kind of where they're coming from. And the beauty of the WNBA is our players are not afraid uh, to speak their minds. They're not afraid to speak our, their truths. Um, and I think the coaches, um, for the most part, um, have, have been more comfortable doing that too, because it's, it's kind of become an, you know, an activism amongst the league and our league promoted it. And, um, but I think that, um, you know, I think we're always, um, concerned with saying things the right way. I mean, I've found even in the, these last six months that I need to think about, you know, I'm, I'm not someone, admittedly, I tend to like wear my heart on my sleeve. I tend to speak off the cuff. I tend to be probably too emotional at times. Um, and yet even I've had to sit back and think about the way that someone could interpret what I say, you know, even to the point where um, in all honesty, when I got asked, you know, when they finally announced the season, right, that we were going to have a season, 
And I got interviewed um, by the AJC here locally. And I said, you know, they were asking me how I felt about it. And I mean, honestly, I was like ecstatic, like, because this is who I am. I'm a coach. It's what I want to do. I want to, no matter what the environment, no matter what the challenge is, you know, I want to be in, in between those lines. I want to have those relationships. I, I want to have those highs and lows and, and figure things out. But I also had to think about, okay, when I say that, am I being insensitive to everything that's going on in the world right now? You know, am I being sensitive enough to, you know, players who may not want to play and may not have that same joy in playing because, you know, um, they see their brother in George Floyd. Um, they see their sister in Breonna Taylor and, and like kind of learning to have um, that empathy um, you know, we're just as humans, we're, we're, we're not empathetic enough. Like, and so, you know, I, I think that um, it, it is a heavy question and it's a loaded question. And what I would say at the end of all of that is I can't pretend to know how it feels to walk in your shoes. You know, I can only be empathetic. I can only learn from my players and my peers and, you know, but at the same time, you know, I, I understand that you know, I, I, I am different, you know, and, and maybe I'm not different, maybe. Um, but, you know, I think that's, <laughs> that's my best answer of saying, I don't know what I don't know. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I'd like to believe I'm empathetic to, you know, what others are experiencing. Uh, that that's thank you that that's mm -hmm. awesome. Um, and also the last one is, um, I, I've I've experienced this some, and I've also um, heard, uh, I think when I was on a Zoom and I heard uh, Gina Auriemma say that women coach, female coaches are very protective of their stuff and, and more protective than male coaches. Do you agree or do you not agree? And also, um, how do you think leadership can change that? Wow. I never thought of it as a male female thing. Um, I've worked for male coaches that were incredibly collaborative and I've worked for male coaches that were pretty secretive about their stuff, you know? Um, and, um, you know, but I think in general, if I had to say, um, you know, that there might be some truth to that. I mean, maybe on the men's basketball side, um, there has been a, a longer held like boys club, collaborative, get together, have retreats, you know, um, really talk about the game. And I think that's just growing on our side. You know, I think this medium right here can be a, an incredible opportunity for that. I think there's collaboration on the women's side at the final fours and things like that. But I don't think there's maybe been as much of a um, collaborative off-season emphasis from female coaches. And, you know, maybe that's because we're also moms and uh, caregivers and, you know, that, you know, we think when we're not on the clock that, that we have to be all these things for everybody else. Um, you know, where I think, you know, as traditional as it sounds, I think a lot of male coaches don't turn it off, right? You know, they don't turn off that side. Um, and so, you know, they might call their buddies um, who also coach and just, you know, talk X's and O's and things like that. And so, you know, when you talk about, I've found that I just, I'm a sharer, you know, I mean, and, and, and a lot of it is just, 
Um, I'm outgoing. I like meeting new people. I love what I do. Um, I love to share it. I don't think what I'm sharing is, is some great mystery um, that people aren't going to solve if they watched a lot of tape on us. Uh, they probably start to figure out what we do or what my philosophy is. I'm just not afraid to tell you what my philosophy is. You know, it's still going to come down to, you know, there's 11 other coaches in this league and 11 other teams in this league, and they're going to have to execute against what we do, or they're going to have to defend what we do. And, you know, so, you know, we all live in such an analytic world right now that, um, you know, sometimes it comes down with us who has a better player and makes a better play, you know, at the end of the game. But, um, you know, I, I think there's a, like little pockets of thing. Everybody keeps secret. Um, uh, but I, I think for the most part, the more we share, uh, the, the more people maybe uh, learn to be as passionate about it. You know, when you talk about someone, you know, I've, I've always believed, you know, that that your energy introduces you before you ever speak, you know, and that for me is something that is, is really, really important. It's, you know, that, that people feel, you know, how much I love what I do and how much I, you know, want to meet them. And I, I think that, you know, that comes through because I'm the typical person that's on the street that people ask for um, directions from, even when I'm in a city I've never been in before, I just, I don't know, maybe it's the dimples, but as soon as I smile, it's like, oh, well, she'll, she'll answer a question for me. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, one more quick question. Well, quick. Yeah. I've been talking a whole bunch, <laughs> um, but as, as we were, you know, talking from male to female, we, they've been talking about a decline in um, participation with girls. And I know a lot of people ask me that as a, you know, a former athlete and as a coach, what would you say um, is the biggest decline in, you know, girl participation and how can we as coaches, not just on the professional level, um, because I think the WNBA does a very good job of, you know, marketing to girls and, and you know, show, and growing the game and talking about all those difficult issues, you know, but as grassroots coaches, you know, how what do we say to that? You know, how can we continue to support these young girls, you know, in participating, you know, all the way through, you know, not just in grade school, but, you know, participating as long as possible in the game or any sport for that matter? Well, I think it comes down to two things. And, and this is, this is easy for me to say, but I think we live in a world where there's, there's so many things that pull um, away from sports when you're a young person and things that didn't exist when, when I was young. I mean, you, everyone tried the band and everybody, you know, like you may not have stayed in the band, but you know, you, there were certain things you tried and figured out if you liked or not. And, and now, um, you know, the fact that they have Netflix on their phones, um, it's, it's easy to find things to do um, that, that aren't active. I mean, I, I think we have as much as a, uh, anything we have like a health crisis based on people not being active enough because we can all be easily entertained um you know by by things that are at our fingertips and so you know but so how do how do you keep them involved i think it comes down to you, you you've got to make them love it and, and if you don't if they don't love it they at least have to like it you know so it has to how do you make it fun you know and so i mean because if it isn't fun, they're going to find something else to do. I mean, it's just that, that age of instant gratification. So if they're not finding joy in it, that doesn't mean that to me, there's something wonderful about hard work. You know, there's something, you know, I don't always want to 
get on my Peloton, but by gosh, after 30 minutes, like I'm happy I did it. But, you know, at the 14 minute mark, when I want to die, um, you know, I'm like kind of cursing the instructor. I, you know, but it's that it's it's the endorphins it creates and how you feel when you're done. And so finding ways um, for them to have fun with it, you know, we're at this time where the expectations are always like, geez, if you play that you're going to play college or you have to play college, or we just have these crazy unrealistic expectations. I mean, there's, there's something great about learning leadership and teamwork um, from high school sports that will transfer to any area of your life, regardless of whether you play once you, are, are done with the 12th grade. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's getting people to understand that. I mean, as much as anything, like I, I feel bad sometimes for my kids cause they're always building, you know, like what is their college, um, you know, resume going to look like I'm thinking to myself, I wasn't thinking about that when I was in high school. Um, but even if it's, you know, one of those things that helps you get into a college because you played on a team, you know, it doesn't even mean that you're going to play on a basketball team in college, but, you know, it's just one more thing um, to help you with, you know, an, an entrance um, type situation. So, you know, but I think it comes back to then, like, what are the expectations and, and are they finding joy in it? Because, you know, the parental pressure, um, you know, all those things, um, you know, sometimes it's hard to go to high school games and listen to the, listen to the parents <laughs> yell in the stands, you know, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> I, I don't know what they expect they're going to happen during a game, but, you know, I've got two 15 year olds and a 13 year old. So I hear the parents. I mean, I'm a lacrosse mom. I'm a cheer mom. Um, I, I, I hear them all yelling and, you know, I, I've just found that no matter how competitive I am, when it comes to my own kids, I ask them these questions when they go to practice. I ask them to be the best listener and to do their best. Those are the two things I tell them, like be the best listener and do your best. And, and you know, the, the rest will take care of itself. Um, you know, I mean, my daughter's like 13 year old lacrosse team is ranked as the first or second best 2026 lacrosse team in the nation, whatever that means, you know, um, but, you know, they go and they compete, but they still have fun, you know, and at the point where it's not fun for them, they're not going to keep playing, you know, so no matter how good they are, and I know they like being able to tell people that they're really good. Ultimately, it's, you know, sleepovers the night after it's running around the hotel before it's it's those things that that I think they enjoy as much as as actually winning. Thank you so much for mm-hmm. for your time and all your answering all my questions appreciate it of course those are great uh, questions coach tiffany so thank you um you know one of the biggest things that you'll hear me talk about and the whole basis of how this thing started was simply like you and i just talked about before we got on you know in a leadership role especially within sports and especially the higher um or the ladder that you begin to climb there's this you know indirect and unspoken conversation that coaches believe that they can't express their faith or their passions. So Mm -hmm. the question I like to ask coaches and leaders when they come on is, you know, how, what do you feel or how do you feel we can help to normalize uh, faith in coaches that they can be confident in their faith. They can be confident expressing that, you know, as the old folks would say that it was God that brought me through. Right. So yeah. What would be some advice that you would have for coaches and leaders as we maneuver through some crazy times about normalizing, you know, who kept us? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm actually grateful I, I coach in the pros because I will say, 
you know, college sports, especially when you talk about public institution and separation of church and state and the idea of, do I have to ask if we say the Lord's prayer as a team or do we, um, you know, that's just it. I think it's, it's one of those things that I think players will feel first from you. I mean, I'm a quote for the day person. So we start every practice with a quote for the day. Um, you know, if my team needs it, it can be as silly as um, like, don't eat yellow snow. Um, and, you know, but it also is, you know, that some of the, you know, it, it may be an MLK um, quote, but it, it's also very apt to be biblically um, driven, you know, and, and a great quote. And so, you know, I, I was, you know, like I have, um, you know, a tattoo here, which is, this is the day the Lord hath made, let us rejoice and be glad in it. Because that for me is, is what every day has to be. Um, you know, I'm thankful that I wake up every day. I'm, you know, thankful for grace, you know, I, I and I think it's, it's that concept of grace that I think is um, <laughs> not so sometimes easy to talk about. And yet, you know, if you're a Christian, it's kind of the only thing at the end of the day that, that matters, um, you know, and I think there's obviously like the opposite of karma is grace, you know, so, you know, we, I, I don't know that there's an easy answer to that question. I think some, some of it is, is where are you at? And some of it is how do your relationships develop individually um, with players so that they have a comfort and in, you and and your faith and and maybe it's you know I, I've always found that I've had to ask the question do I offend anyone if I use a quote for the day from the Bible like I'm not trying to tell anybody um, that I'm not going to play you or that you know if if you don't believe in the same God that I do um, you know but I but I think we're all um, creatures at the end of the day that are that are searching for meaning um, and and so you know, for me, I get that meaning from, you know, my personal relationship with Jesus Christ, because then I know that all of this makes sense. Um, and, and so, you know, but I, I don't know, there's an easy answer. You know, I think, you know, coaches that are at parochial schools, or, you know, that are um, at Catholic schools, or, or, you know, whether it's the elementary level on to the collegiate level, then it's easy. You know, I think it's tougher when you talk about the public institution and, and when are you going to get pushback from parents about your faith? And, um, you know, I think it's the idea of, of, are, are you always talking about, Hey, whether you're an atheist or you're Buddhist or you're whatever it is, you're welcome here. You know, I mean, that's what I would want the message to be. Um, and so, you know, what is it that gets you through the day? And, you know, I'm here, um, at the end of the day to build relationships with each and every person I coach with each and every person I coach with. And so it becomes easy to talk about it. Um, when you surround yourself, like I have the ability to surround myself with people, um, you know, that I want to be around. Um, and it doesn't mean everyone that I, that I choose to be around is, is going to be, you know, a hardcore Christian, you know, but I think it's people that are Christ-like, I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, because that that's my comfort zone. I think one of the biggest things is one that was a perfect way to answer it. And the reason I'll tell you why one, it was authentic, authentic, sorry, truthful. But the biggest thing is as simplistic as Nikki Collins said it. And I think that that is the beauty of the servant leader, because sometimes it takes the people we see every day. You, 
you you probably would you probably would believe me, but you have no idea the messages that I get that inquire because now it's well, you know, hey, I followed him on Twitter for so long and man, he actually is okay with saying that God is good in public. Mm-hmm. All right. What are some of the scriptures that, you know, you think I should look at? And so I'm thankful for that question. It is indeed a hard question, but the biggest thing, and I think everyone agrees because I saw it in the chat, was simply, you're all accepted here, was the line you said. Mm. Yeah. And simply put, and we have a, a coach on here, he's often on here, Coach Paul, but, you know, he does football in Iowa. And he talks about, he said, it sounds so simple, but God commanded us to love our neighbor. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, Love thy neighbor. Three words is so hard for people to achieve. It doesn't Mm -hmm. love your neighbor if, and then fill in a blank. It says love your neighbor and that's it. And so when you said you're all accepted here, that is what Christ asked us to do. He handled everything else. He just called us to love our neighbor. And I thank you so much just for, you know, sharing that uh, big time, big time answer. Um, Everybody's also going, um, going in on your uh, eat yellow snow uh, quote. <laughs> I just want to let you know that we're doing that, okay? Um, you know, more than anything, there's so many questions we could ask, but as we wind up, this is the servant leader. And I love the beauty in that because we continue to talk about different leaders and coaches and that servant leader, two words, servant leadership, two words, but they take on so many various forms and definitions. If you had to say, what does servant leadership look like to coach Nikki Collins? I think servant leadership is being a better listener than talker. Um, I think servant leadership is um, understanding that winning isn't everything. I think servant leadership is uh, believing relationships are most important. Um And then I think servant leadership is not being afraid to tell people you love them. Um, I think that's for me, um, you know, I think that's always been a little bit, I'm a middle child, I'm a peacekeeper by nature. Um, But I found once again, that that at the point that I lost my sister, that uh, I became, uh, I, I joke, like I've always kind of been emotional, but, but the idea of of making sure that, that people know I care. Um, you know, I've always, my personal motto has always been, um, you know, people don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. I mean, it's just kind of something I I try to live by and I'm not always perfect and I fall short in so, so many areas. Um, but ultimately like, you know, I, I don't walk away from one of our players. I mean, they can be 22 or 30 or they could be going to Turkey or, um, you know, going to a restaurant, you know, and, and I tell them I love them. And I think the first time, you know, especially with the young guys, they're kind of like, did she just tell me she loved me? And before you know it, before you know it, they're like, love you too, coach Nikki, you know, like, and, and it, it normalizes it, you know, it normalizes that feeling because I think it's, it's, you know, I mean, there's obviously different kind of loves, but, you know, for me, it's about, it's, it's about those relationships. It's about people knowing you care Um, you know, because I think that's once again, you know, I, you know, I hope, um, you know, my legacy is that I win lots of championships and do all that. But at the end of the day, um, no one's going to care about that. If I'm not a good person, um, if I, if I don't, if they don't know how much I loved what I did and how much I cared about what I did and how much I cared about them. So 
you know, that's more important to me. And I've always said, I'm totally okay at this point in my life. Um, if, if my way isn't the right way and, and I'm, I'm, you know, I always say pro coaches are hired to get fired. It's just kind of the nature of professional sports, but you know, I, I'm never going to be anyone and try to be anyone I'm not, you know, and if, if, if I get let go at some point, um, because I'm not good enough, we don't win enough games. I'll know um, that I at least did it my way and I didn't try to be somebody else. So um, it doesn't make it easy, but I also know uh, enough of my heart to know that, you know, if it's not coaching, I'll find another way to, to build these relationships uh, with people. Coach, I think that's amazing. You know, I wish you could see, well, you can see, but we, we try our best to stay on track, but you just hit so many gems and that's the beauty <laughs> of seeing the definition of each leader, because I don't believe in, someone's asked me the other day, I think we're up to in the eighties, but out of 80 something speakers, I don't believe I've heard, tell people you love them. And it's so hard. We climb these ladders in life and we try to reach these higher heights and we fail at the things that sound so simple, but are so profound. Tell people you love them, right? And if 2020 has not shown anybody that. (laughs) Right. I mean, if 2020 hasn't shown anyone that, I think that is golden because one of the things that you'll find is we don't know the origin. We talk about the point of origin a lot um, with some friends and I that delve into our word together. And there's always a story. And sometimes you just telling somebody you love them, that may A, be the first time that they've heard it or B, the first time somebody truly said it and meant it and showed it. So I think that's a profound coach. Um, as we start to kind of close up, I do have, um, you know, one of my favorite basketball players, she's my niece on the line, along with some of my players that will be listening. Um, and one of the questions that came specifically from a rising senior, senior she said, what would be some of the words of advice you would have or encouragement for a senior entering their last season of high school with hopes to play on a collegiate level? And I'm going to attach a little bit to that. And I'm going to say this to bring my little uh, nine-year-old niece into that too. What points of encouragement will you have for all of our young ladies in sports to keep thriving even when the roadblocks come because they will come? Yeah, they'll come. Um, I, I think you know, I always say, you know, my, my sister used to call me the golden child um, uh, because I was naturally good at everything I did. And then, um, you know, when I was in sixth grade, um, I, typical Nikki story, I, I decided to ride a dirt bike off a ramp um, and ended up in the wood chips with the bike on top of me. Um, but it was, it was one of those um, wonderful accidents because they discovered I had scoliosis and, you know, it, it turned into 18 months of um, x-rays and back braces and, you know, and here I am today. So everybody has their, some, some adversity at some point, and it may look different and it may be more profound for some people. Um, what some people call adversity, other people would say, okay, well, you haven't seen adversity um, if you've seen that. Um, but, but I think, you know, whether it's, whether you're 18, whether you're nine, um, you know, I, I think it, it it's always going to come down to um, that the realistic expectations combined with the love. Like, I just think so many players today, what I what I what I struggled with even coaching in college is the idea of, of players. So many players viewed a college scholarship as the culmination instead of the beginning, you know, and and that was a shame to me because 
I didn't play, I never started playing basketball to get a scholarship. I started playing basketball because I absolutely loved it. And I loved the feeling I got and I loved the teamwork and I just, you know, I loved everything about it. And, and I'm 45 and I'm still that way. Like I just still have great joy stepping onto the basketball court and doing my job every day, even after a loss. And I tell people like, look, you know, so many people that cover the dream and, and are around me regularly and have seen us uh, our first year, you know, set franchise records and then falter the next season. And, you know, I, I get texts after coach, you're doing all right. You know, and I'm like, no, I'm not doing all right. I mean, it's 11 o'clock at night and we just lost a big game. I'm not all right. But I can guarantee you at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning when I step out on the practice floor that I'll be all right because I'm back doing what I do. And this is part of the job. Um, and, and I would have been the same way. You just would have seen me smile a lot if we had won. But I would still be the same person at 10, you know, 10 o'clock the next day. And so I think for, for people that love the game, they can keep doing that. They can keep getting up and doing it because they love it, whether they win or lose or whatever it looks like. But if you're doing it because you want a scholarship, if you're doing it because you want someone to give you an award, if, if you do it for that reason, then it's going to be hard when you don't get the award. It's going to be hard when you don't win the game. You're not going to want to get up and do it the next day. Um, I, so I think it comes down to like, what's your why? Like, why do you, why do you play? You know, and if you play because you love it, if you play even if you just really like it, you know, maybe you don't love it, but you really like it. Um, then you're going to keep doing it and you're going to keep finding, finding reason to do it. But if you're doing it for reasons that are um, sometimes outside your control, <laughs> you know, then, then you're, you're not, you're not going to keep playing. You're not going to love it. You're not going to deal with the adversity very well. And eventually you're going to walk away and have bad memories rather than, you know, Hey, like, yeah, I wish we'd won more games this season but I'm going to look back in 20 years and, and I'm going to remember dinners we had as a group. I'm going to remember our trip to the beach together. I'm going to, you know, there are things that you're always going to take away, um, you know, when you do it because you love it. Great answer, coach. I think the puppy wanted some airtime. Yeah. Some <laughs> <laughs> gosh, I think those were amazing and big time answers. And I feel so, Oh my God, it's such the same way, you know, things have been kind of touch and go and now they're saying we're having a season, but anytime I am on the court, around the court, you know, I can even be, and this has happened before, you know, at the girls photo shoot at the beginning of the year, mm -hmm. if I see a ball, it's just hard not to pick it up. It's just the mm -hmm. game that does not die. It does not end. And that pushes you. And then everything else gets added because of it. I always think about uh, coach Karen, but barefoot, at UNC Wilmington and she talks about orange ball blessings um mm -hmm. came on months ago and that's what it is it's just we love what we do no matter the facet of it we love what we do the love of the game started so long ago and it just keeps adding blessings to us because like they say when you love what you do you never work a day in your life and so I, I think that's great advice you know you talked to us so many things are just about the grind. You talked about talked about balancing that, you know, and you're just so calm and laid back. And I think that's the portion <laughs> me about you. Like if I see you on the sideline or an interview that you've done, or even just being a wife or a mom, it's just like, yeah, this is me. And it makes <laughs> sense when you talk about servant leadership and what that means to you, just trying to make people around you better. And you do that every day. Yeah. So 
I just personally want to take the time to thank you for your time. I say this all the time and it's the truth. Time is the one thing that you can't exchange. You cannot give it back once it's given. So I thank you for taking the time with us today in the midst of this pandemic and now trying to get you, you know, a little breather from the wobble. Uh, I thank you just for coming on. I'm going to give you an opportunity to say anything you'd like to do in closing and um, we'll say a prayer and get out. Well, you know, I'll just close it by saying, you know, that, that I do think a group like this is a blessing. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, your leadership and in, in bringing a group of people together that, that want to talk um, about their faith and, and how to connect their faith and their jobs, um, you know, I, I think that's just a blessing. So for me, I, I've done a lot of coaches clinics. I've done um, a, a lot of Zoom calls for different people. Um, but this was a unique one. And um, I, I love um, when I can touch people in, in, in a different way. You know, I certainly love to talk about the X's and O's of the game. Um, but, you know, talking about relationships and faith um, is, a, is a different level. And, and so I thank you for the opportunity to come on. And, um, you know, I'm uh, only an email away. Um, if anybody has any other questions or, you know, is going to come to a dream game, um, you know, I, I, sometimes people tell me I'm famous, but I don't ever really feel like it. I don't think that, uh, you know, until we start selling out 20,000 seat arenas and, you know, I need a security guard, um, uh, that, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to take an email or an answer an email. So whether it's a basketball question or a faith question, um, don't be afraid to, to reach out. We appreciate it. And you are big time to me, coach. You are famous. <laughs> and when, this, when this pandemic clears and things, you know, kind of come back to normal, I will even say you're famous enough for me to drive in Atlanta. Okay. <laughs> I'll take it. So come to a game. <laughs> so I appreciate you so much. Really quick, guys, we're going to say a quick prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for what we've seen and what we've heard. We thank you right now, Lord God, for our servant leader, coach Nikki Collin. I ask that you continue to bless her, Lord God, at her point of need. I ask that you bless all of the listeners, all of the coaches, all of the leaders at their point of need, Lord God. Help us to continue to know that no matter what we do, we do it for the glory of you. And that if we continue to love our neighbor as we would love ourselves, Lord God, and as you loved us, as we continue to just help normalize coaches of faith and leaders of faith, we ask that you help us to understand that we're placed here for your glory. We're placed here for your purpose and help us to out to live that out loud i thank you so much right now lord god and bless our going out and our coming in in your son jesus name we pray amen amen thank you so much coach you're welcome